The Walmart Amp presents Canadian singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin Tuesday, July 2nd, touring in celebration of the 30th anniversary of her third studio album, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, performing the full record front to back. She'll be joined on tour by special guest Feist. Tickets and information at amptickets.com. KUAF is supported by Arkansas Community Foundation, working with professional advisors to offer clients philanthropic investment opportunities to match their needs. Whether it's tax-related, retirement planning, or creating a legacy of giving, more at arcf.org. It is Friday, December 15th, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville, with me this Friday, not in Fayetteville, but over the phone from his office in Fort Smith, is Michael Tilley of Talk Business and Politics. The holidays are upon us. Michael, is Santa planning on bringing you anything good this year? I I have I have no idea. I have no idea which list I'm on, so I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send a FOIA request out, and we'll see which one you're on. <laughs> yeah, well, we are enemies of the people, so I don't know which list that puts us on. <laughs> Um, well, so we'll talk. We'll we'll start our conversation today talking about the Fort Smith Regional Airport. Uh, it looks like employments are down so far this year through October. Yeah, it's somewhat of a disconcerting number. Uh, Northwest Arkansas and the Little Rock Airport, um, and, and along with Fort Smith, are the three uh, primary commercial airports in Arkansas. Um, the Portsmouth Regional Airport, the employments are down two point, a little over two percent through October. Um, started out pretty good this year; they were up a little over three percent in the first quarter, uh, but have just trailed ever ever since. And, and part of the issue, or maybe a big component, big factor, is that American Airlines is uh, the only carrier active at Fort Smith, and they have two to three flights a day between Fort Smith and Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, previously, Delta had um, a couple of flights a day between Fort, Fort Worth and, or excuse me, Fort Smith and Atlanta, uh, but that was halted in late uh, 2020. So um, the airport, um, of course, they're lobbying, marketing themselves, trying to recruit more carriers or convince American to add more flights to other routes. Um, one of the primary issues is that there's not a north or a northeast route out of Fort Smith. Everything has to go through DFW, and so there it's a little bit of a a little bit of a chicken and the egg kind of thing. You know, um, they need to get more flights, more traffic uh, to convince the airlines to add more routes and more flights. But they need more flights and more routes to convince more folks to fly out of the airport. So um, they've received a little over a $1 million grant last year um, from the Federal Aviation Administration. It helps smaller airports recruit um, and even subsidize to some extent uh, airlines. And so they've been working on that. Um, they've been they've made some progress, but they don't have anything definitive, obviously. So, um, but the employments are down. They were on a, um, prior to COVID, uh, the airport was seeing, um, good growth. I think that they, they were on a five to six year run, um, of continued growth in terms of employments was up around 95,000, almost 96,000 in 2019. Of course, when COVID hit, we knew, we all know what happened to airline traffic around the world, but and they've been slowly building. They got up to about 62,000 last year, but I doubt they're going to get back to that level this year. So hopefully something will break out there. Some, an airline will add a new route, preferably to the east, or American Airline will add some more routes. But it's, um, it's, just, it's not as convenient right now flying out of the airport as it is, um, as it is you know, if you want to go to Little Rock or XNA or over to Tulsa. Well, well, we'll see how that progresses um, from there. Uh, a water study was presented to the Fort Smith Board of Directors earlier this week, and it suggests that a 50% increase in residential water users within the city in 2024, um, and uh, this this seems to be pretty significant. Yeah, it's um, we knew the rate study was coming. 
Um, I was expecting it to be a large number. I can tell you I was not expecting 50%, and I was not expecting on top of that a half-cent sales and use tax that would that would be in effect for 20 years. Um, so this was kind of a slap in the face, and I know the it's a lot to um, – a lot to swallow, I guess no pun intended, for <laughs> um, the board of directors. But yeah, so this study came back um, and really kind of looked at the needs. They compared the needs with um, previous rates. Um, I thought one of the things that was interesting is they looked at um, rates that Fort Smith residents have been paying historically compared to the national average. The Fort Smith water rate for example, has increased about 2% a year over the past 20 years, and that is a 5% increase nationwide on average. So the rate is not the, – the Fort Smith citizens have not been paying as or have not seen as big of increases on a nationwide average. Now, you talk to the average Fort Smith citizen, they probably say, I don't care. I'm paying enough as it is now. But, um, it, the The other, I guess, comparison is that the Fort Smith residential water, the average Fort Smith residential water user using 500 cubic feet a month pays around $17 a month. That average rate in Arkansas is $22 a month. So historically, the study did show that Fort Smith residents have been paying less than average on a nationwide scale and on an Arkansas scale. So that's part of it. But, you know, to um, complete one of the big projects is the city has for years now been trying to complete this 48 inch transmission line from uh to mainline from lake fort smith it provides another um entry into fort smith provides some redundancy provides increased pressure safety for fire for uh expanded um, subdivisions all of that and so it's not i know some people are going to want to classify some of these things as necess or as um, luxuries or whatever, but these are these are necessities that the city that a city that's growing like Fort Smith, which may not be growing like Northwest Arkansas, but it's still growing. And so you have to have water and sewer systems for that growth. So it'll it's gonna be interesting to see how um the city comes down on this. I know there's been a couple of directors or there have been a couple of directors who have been quick to remind that, look, we're in this multi-million dollar consent decree with the federal government because we weren't taking care of business with our sewer system. And so we let's not do that same thing with the water system. We need, you know, this is not going to be popular and it's not going to be fun. It's, you know, be a little painful, but we've got to step up and pay for the system we want. So, of course, the other side of that coin is, you know, are we getting the most out of our dollar right now? Are there other ways to finance this? Do we need to be charging the wholesale customers? For example, there are cities uh, and water associations in uh, or around Fort Smith that buy water off of Fort Smith. Do they need to be paying more? So this is this study really is kind of the first um, really public step on a, on a discussion that the board will undertake. Ideally, they will seek some public input. Uh, ideally, they'll be more transparent about where the money will be spent, how existing funds are being spent, because they've just they've done a horrible job. Frankly, negligent is would be my term, providing transparency to the public, to the citizens in real time on what they've been doing to spend money and respond to this consent decree. So city's going to have to do a hell of a lot better job with transparency selling this water rate increase if they if they want to get um, citizens on board with it. Going out on a high note here, uh, we've seen through uh, through November we're seeing that uh, the Fed, the Fort Smith Metro building permit values are up 4.1 percent through November so far. Um, it feels like we've had a bit of a yo-yo here throughout the last couple of months. Um, is this something that surprises you? No, it doesn't. In fact, um, I've been surprised that the building permit values have been so robust through the year. Last year was a record year. Um, 
we had, you know, a lot of permits were issued for the expansion at Mercy Fort Smith. Um, Simmons Foods was um, wrapping up its major expansion over in Van Buren. So between Van Buren and Fort Smith numbers last year, um, there was a lot of activity. Remember last year we didn't have these higher interest rates that we do now that, you know, come that increased construction costs. So I had anticipated that this year would not match the record of last year. And last year's record was a little over, it was 480.3 million, which the previous record was 343 million. So it blew past uh, last year, blew, blew past the previous record. But as you noted um, through the first 10 months of the year, um, the permit numbers are 400, almost 464 million, up 4.1 percent uh, compared to the same time last year. So, barring any um, significant drop off in November and December, it looks like it'll break the record for next year. But yes, um, the last two or three months, uh, permit values have um, have dropped, and will I two one to two months, sometimes even three months is not necessarily a trend. So we'll, we'll keep watching this to see how this trends out. As we're looking at the numbers in 2013, just a decade ago, uh, that number was $202 million. Yeah. It's wild what yeah, it can happen yeah. over a decade. Effectively doubled. And look, um, you know, we will have permits in the next two years related to, um, you know, construction for, um, this foreign pilot training center. So we'll see how that permit activity, both directly for the facility and ancillary, because people um, building residential or commercial space in response to it. Well, someone whose work is never ancillary is Michael Tilly of Talk Business and Politics. Michael, have a good weekend. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome, sir. Still to come on today's show, Pastor Clint Schneckloth's latest book recommendation examines nonstop information boredom, and how a barrage of information can affect us. People get that decision freeze because there's so many options when they go to like Starbucks or something like that. Yes. So the one thing you can do is you can be stuck there, frozen, not knowing what to decide. That's ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. With me on the phone is Becca Martin-Brown, the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy holidays, Becca. Kyle, I have a surprise for you. Generally, ho like... ho ho! Oh All my three! Oh, Becca, this is a, this is a little bit early for you to be at full holiday um, mode. It really is, but I just got back from a weekend with all of my partner's grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So I'm all about the holidays. We had a great time. Excellent. So I'm happy to hear. We're going to talk all about the holidays today. Silver Dollar City, the happiest place in the Mid-South, mm-hmm. just got the sixth USA Today 10 best, America's best theme park holiday event for an old-time Christmas. And that's happening right now. That's happening right now. There is nothing old-time about an old-time Christmas <laughs> because it's got like six and a half million lights, two Broadway-style Christmas shows, the Rudolph Holly Jolly Christmas Light Parade, an eight-story Christmas tree that sing to music. Yeah, there's nothing old-fashioned about it. That's not exactly Bedford Falls, is it? <laughs> not exactly. No. But if you can go to this and not just give in and have the Christmas spirit, you're a bigger Scrooge than I am. Mm. You can go now, but you can also go on Silver Dollar City's social media and... Put your name in the hat for the last, very last, final public rides on Fire in the Hole. Because that closes at the end of the calendar year, right? Closes December 30th. And they are going to, through social media and through random selection of some folks who are in the park on December 30th, they're going to choose 48 people, which is one last run of it. There's four trains, 12 riders a train. So it's one last run. So check out their social media. Check out our story in What's Up This Weekend. And other than that, I'm just going to inundate you with all the Christmas things going on. And there are many. And there are many. 
A Christmas Story, the musical, is happening today and tomorrow at the King Opera House in Van Buren. Mm -hmm. A Wacky Tacky Christmas Spectacular, which is sort of a variety show that Fort Smith Little Theater has been doing for several years, happens today and tomorrow only at Fort Smith Little Theater. Saturday morning is the Jingle Bell Jog at the Botanical Garden of the Ozark, and there's stuff going on for everybody at that. They're making winter crafts Saturday morning at the Rogers Public Library. Saturday evening, one show only is the Holiday Cabaret presented by the students at Don Tyson School of Innovation in Springdale. Saturday and Sunday is the Nutcracker presented by Western Arkansas Ballet at the ArcBest Performing Arts Center in Fort Smith. Monday morning, you can go hear Dulcimer Music at 11 at the Bella Vista Public Library. The Fayetteville Public Library starts its Schools Out Movies at 2 o'clock with The Little Mermaid. Wait, is school already going to be out on on Monday? Well, yeah. Okay. I okay. would think so. All right. Okay. Right. When, was de- when was Dead Day at the university? That was a week ago today. See? Because Christmas is a week from that Monday. Yeah, but it just seems like when I was in school, we went all the way up to, <laughs> I don't know, the 24th or something. Probably not. Well, then we also had to walk a mile exactly. up way in, uphill both ways in the snow. Every yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't snow. It was sleet. It was, it was hard, painful sleet. Go ahead. I'm happy they're out of school. <laughs> I really am. All right. So Tuesday, the school's out movie at the Fayetteville Public Library is Paw Patrol at 2 o'clock. Wednesday, there's a family movie at 10 a.m. at the Springdale Public Library. It's The Grinch with Jim Carrey. And... And these, these movies at the libraries, they're free. You, you just show up. You don't even have to have a kid. <laughs> right. They're family movies. Schools Out Movies at the Fayetteville Public Library on Wednesday is called Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. Thursday, the family movie at the Springdale Public Library in the morning is The Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Winter Break Wonder starts at Crystal Bridges Museum. You can go make snow globes. You can go do another family activity. It's all free. School's Out movie at the Fayetteville Public Library is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And Thursday night, there's a candlelight jazz performance at 7 and at 8, as I understand it, in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges. It is ticketed, so get your tickets at crystalbridges.org. Friday is the 22nd. Holiday Harp with Beth Stockdale at 1030 at the Fayetteville Public Library. Winter Break Wonders at Crystal Bridges. Winter Break Wonders Saturday at Crystal Bridges. Movie Saturday night at the King Opera House in Van Buren. The Penitent Thief showing at 2 and 6 o'clock. $5 suggested donation. Winter Break Wonders Sunday at Crystal Bridges. But Crystal Bridges and The Momentary will both close at 2. And then, of course, there's lights on the Fayetteville Square and lights on the Bentonville Square. The Christmas Tree Forest at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. And the Magical Lights Adventure at the fairgrounds in Fayetteville and the Fort Smith Ice Rink, and you get the idea. Now, if you're looking for a Christmas parade, that's all in our past, right? That's Christmas past. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, that is Christmas past. These are Christmas yet to come. Gotcha. And if you're going, how do you think I can remember that crazy woman? (laughs) It's all Sunday in What's Up in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the River Valley Democrat Gazette. So you don't have to remember it. You just have to get your little magazine and figure out what to do with the kids. Now, next week, you and I will talk on Thursday, the 21st, because on the 22nd, we have a show full of holiday music recorded in the Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF. Which sounds incredibly cool. It was so fun. It was so fun. Then we'll take you and I will take a couple of weeks off, at least from this, and we'll regroup um in 2024. Oh, and don't forget, if you've been following along, April Wallace's Dixon Street series in the Town section continues this week, happened yesterday, but you can still find it, with Monica Hooper doing an installment on George's. Yeah. All right. Well, now, to recap, Becca, unless you live near Van Buren, Fort Smith, Fayetteville, Rogers, Springdale, Bella Vista, Bentonville, Eureka Springs, or Branson, Missouri, you can't find any Christmas activities. 
That is correct. Okay. Becca Martin-Brown is the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We will talk next Thursday. Until then, Becca. Say it with me, Kyle. Ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelms. Here is something I have learned after years of talking with Pastor Clinch Neckloth about books. This man who grew up in the Midwest where it snows all the time is not as big a fan of winter as he used to be. Correct, Pastor Neckloth? Well, I get colder easier. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I still I, like the snow. Okay. All right. I know we have a running joke yes. about this because you just want summer all the time. I do. I bring that up because it's time for our winter collection of book conversations, beginning with... The Spiritual Significance of Overload... I, I can't pronounce things today. <laughs> Overload Boredom by Sharday Morsuranjan. The Spiritual Significance of Overload Boredom. I am completely fascinated by this title. Mm -hmm. I saw this in a stack of books that a friend posted. I have a couple friends who do the same thing as that I do where I'll take like a photo of the stack of books I'm gonna read next and then post it online. And I was like, what even is that? <laughs> <laughs> like it was in a stack of like ministry books and other things and then there was this one and I was like, huh. But it's maybe, if I think about it, the most significant thesis in a book that I have read in a decade. I mean, it's a, I think it's huge. Can I ask what overload boredom refers to? Right. So this is the thing. So we all think we know what boredom is. It's when you have nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And we also know that boredom and our experience of it has changed with the, you know, modern accessibility of everything. You know, mm -hmm. it's like one of those things where we kind of talk about how nobody is or can be bored anymore because... You've got something coming at you the whole time. Right. And so the question is, does boredom still exist mm -hmm. in a situation where you have this overload of options all of the time? And the thesis that the auth this author puts forward is that we still are experiencing boredom, but it's no longer placeable kind of on the personal uh, kind of subjective level, you mm -hmm. know, that you might be left in a field with no book or no phone and you just have to figure out what to do with yourself. Right. It's more systemic and structural. Yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, we've all seen ourselves or other people just do this sort of mindless scrolling. You're not really even pausing on anything. You just keep scrolling and scrolling on your phone. Right. Now, the, the tricky concept here, and it took me a while to kind of grasp this before I could kind of get my head around what the thesis of this book really was, is that this modern kind of boredom, overload, overload boredom, is an affective thing. It's like a, it's a, and actually it's what the author calls disaffecting. Mm -hmm. It gets us into a non-affective or even in opposition to affect. In other words, rather than feeling bored, over, overload Boredom is to, in a sense, kind of not feel anything at all. You just want to disconnect, disengage. And this is what a lot of people will regularly tell me is kind of their struggle. You know, they've got so many things going on, and there's so many things on the news, and there's so much on their phone or their device. The idea that they have is, I'm just going to disconnect. Get away from it all. Right. Without going anywhere. So you, I'm going to delete Facebook from my phone. Guilty. Or I'm going to use one of those apps that, like, I need to write this book, so I'm going to use this app that doesn't let me be online mm -hmm. so that I can't see all of these things. You know, mm -hmm. all, all that kind of Get stuff. Get distracted, yeah. Yeah. But all of these things are populating us to such a degree, again, this is the thesis of the book, uh, that they not only have populated us in the kind of the outward life that we're living, but it actually has populated our interiority too. 
So when we try to do those things, it doesn't work. For example? There, in other words, there's no escape. It's always there. We have been so changed by the structures and the, and the, the, media, the media kind of space that we're in that we simply can't experience the context that would have created no, normal past boredom in the same way that people might have, say, in the prior to the 19th century. Oh, okay. You know, or before the Industrial Revolution or the um, – somewhere in there. It's kind of hard to say exactly when people were starting to be hit by this onslaught. But we know from a lot of the historical record that the onslaught of what's available to us has been in, on this exponential climb since the Industrial Revolution basically. Right. right? So it's, it's populated our interiority, which means that the solution to overload boredom – can't be that initial impulse. To, to disconnect or to block right? Like what, if, what you're afraid is going to capture your attention. Yeah, yeah. So let's just yeah, take it. This is a possibility. Like let's say you really wanted to get away. So you're like, I'm going to go to an island mm -hmm. by myself with no phone and just get away from it all. You will be ill-equipped to deal with that mm -hmm. because all of these forces have populated your interior practices as well. And so your experience of being there on that island coming out of that context is, will be completely different. So to put this in a more uh, uh, you know, realistic possible thing that situation that we have experienced, you go to Devil's Den. The cell signal isn't so great down there, you know, in the in the part in in the part where you tent camp. You can't get anything, but you're still anxious. You're still drumming your fingers. You can't relax. You're feeling the absence yes. of the Wi-Fi signal, right? Yes. Yeah, that's this is the point, and it's it's so hidden. Uh, you know, one an, it's kind of like one of those things of where it's done it, but it's also hidden itself in the doing of it. Mm -hmm. So what. The author proposes instead um, is since there's not like the, that, that gut reaction of escape isn't going to work, that it's about shifting our affective practices around how we engage what's coming at us. That's okay. the proposal. I'm interested. In other words, it's an aesthetic move. Aesthetic? Rather than a monastic move. Okay. You know, like, again, what we might idealize is, oh, if, we, if I could just go to a monastery and narrow it down to, like, you know, whatever. But <clears throat> it's an aesthetic experience. And uh, the other thing that has happened with overload boredom is that it's disconnected us. So it's disaffected us, but it's also disconnected us, right? We all feel like we're connected, but on another level, we're not. And the impulse as a reaction to overload boredom is to disconnect even more. Again, the getting away thing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to another response could be, would be to be in communities of uh, care that steward another way of coming at the things that are coming at you. So then the rest of the book is like essentially starting to practice this proposal and thesis by looking specifically at artistic creations that are about boredom and the spiritual aspects of over overload boredom. I cannot say that <laughs> combination of two words today. I challenge everybody listening to try to do it for yourself right now. Overload boredom. boredom. It is. It is. It's a yes. mouthful. Yes. So um, one of those is The Pale King by David Foster Wallace, mm -hmm. which is about the IRS. Yes. And it's like hundreds of pages yes. that are about that, that many people have found tedious because the author wrote it to be tedious on purpose. <laughs> Okay. You know? So so he's suggesting that maybe you invest in that? Well, like, or or, or shows doing it. You okay. Know? So a couple, a couple chapters are just doing aesthetic or literary critical analysis of the phenomenon as it presents itself in that book. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of other things that the author engages, um, including a thing that was found on the internet a few years ago where somebody had gone in and was just asking this bot question after question after question and kind of having like a dialogue with it and uh, was doing it ostensibly out of boredom. But the, it gets really wild. And, and that has become a 
found text poem kind of thing that right. she engages, et cetera. Yeah. So what is, I mean, we may have touched on this. The, the first part of the book title is the spiritual significance. Mm-hmm. So, so does the author come to a conclusion that how this might be affecting us as a whole? Yeah, well, one, there's a couple, there's probably a lot of, um, say, therapeutic uh, offers here that are there. There's probably many. Uh, one therapeutic offering here would be to say, um, maybe don't beat yourself up personally over it if it's structural and systemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's different than the past kind of boredom of why don't you why aren't you just more creative when you're left to your own devices in your room because you got grounded, <laughs> right. you know? Like right. that's right. to hyper personalize it. If it's really systemic, that then that's different, and maybe you can feel a little bit better about that. But then it's to engage aesthetically with stuff together with others in ways that help you reflect on the phenomenon itself. So be super self-aware? Yeah, it's like an aware, like an awareness of it. I mean, I, maybe if I can use you as an example, yeah. you sit here mm-hmm. and repeatedly have conversations like this day after day about topics ranging far and wide. That is correct. That sounds like overload to me. That can be. I will admit that, yes. Yeah, right. And so then this is an invitation to a step back Uh of what's the spiritual significance of when when you feel that way. Do you become entirely disaffected and uninterested when you are having an adverse response to it? Um, What kind of communities of care do you have around you to process that? These are the kinds of questions that the author yeah. is asking. Well, these are great questions. And I'm sure there's the phenomenon that other people experience where even when I'm not here having these conversations, I'm thinking about the conversations I need to schedule so that the next day's show has enough material. Yeah. So you never, I never stop. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like that. It may be with their children, with, with, with you know, Business projects, things like that. It never stops. Right. And it, it, the the critical tool here is to recognize that is a form of or part of the way modern um, capitalism works. It wants to appropriate you. You know, like you think you're just doom scrolling, but Facebook thinks it's gathering info. Exactly. Right. Um, and so that's part of it. And then the other part that's, I think, you know, kind of like wildly interesting is that you use, especially, and this this isn't analyzing a certain kind of like subsection of the global society, kind of the infocrats, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. right? Well, that group of people, which I'm assuming you may be part of that group of people, and I know that I am to a degree, we use the same set of like technologies and tools for our leisure as for our work. Exactly. And so there's that's another example of why there's no escape. It's not like you can just leave your phone anymore when you go on vacation because you also use your phone the whole time you're on vacation to right. look up the restaurant you're going to eat at or whatever. The and way the, to the park or mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, so it's become just an entire overlap of that. All right, so our conversation here about the spiritual significance of overload boredom is leaving me mildly pessimistic. Well, it's not entirely not pessimistic. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, basically the, the thesis of the book is this is your only move. Mm. You can't escape. So the best you can do is try to engage it differently. Okay. Well, yeah, and that that has to be an intentional behavior. It's not going to just happen. Right. And this is one proposal of how to do that. There's actually a um, companion website to the book. Uh, it's, It's mentioned in the back of the book. The website is called For Boredom. And it's 
illustrating the practices that the author's inviting. So there's some texts and some artwork and stuff, and then it's act, it's actively inviting hypertexting and conversation around those artistic productions, and they are all artistic productions that are examples of critiquing overload boredom. And I'm going to it sounds like, I mean, I, I go back to these traditional ways. I think, well, if I if I get up at 5.30 in the morning and I take a three-mile walk with my dog in the in the dark and the quiet, that might help. Or if someone's on the Buffalo River kayaking, you'd think that's the way to get through. Those traditional ways aren't necessarily the way we're going to break through this. Yeah, and it's not that those things are necessarily bad. Right, and you can right. try all of those things, but if if her thesis is correct, mm-hmm. then your interiority has been so populated right. that when you go to do those things, you're still going to be you're still inherently impacted by all this other stuff. And so she's just inviting you to um, also right. try it against or with the very things. Um, I, maybe this is like a an image I have. Um, you know, People get that decision freeze because there's so many options when they go to like Starbucks or something like that. Yes. So the one thing you can do is you can be stuck there, frozen, not knowing what to decide. Another option, the escapist option, is to not go to Starbucks. <laughs> right, right, right. Not have to make that decision. Uh-huh. Right. Um, the other option, the this aesthetic option, is to bring a group of people to the Starbucks and all stand there and together analyze what it's like. To be this. staring at a board with so many combinations. I love And this. then what does that do to you spiritually to gain awareness of the tools of capitalism that are manipulating you even while you do something that you actually want to do, which is get a Starbucks drink? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> My advice is get the black coffee. <laughs> Eliminate it. Just like, don't worry about it. <laughs> We're on the same page there. Yes. <laughs> The name of the book is The Spiritual Significance of Overload Boredom, written by Sharde Moseranjan. Pastor Clinch Neckloth from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Thank you. Yeah. This month's Short Talks from the Hill features Mervyn Jebaraj. As director of the Center for Business and Economic Research in the Sam Walton College of Business, Jebaraj leads a team of researchers who provide applied economic and business research to federal, state, and local government and to businesses in Arkansas. In the podcast, Jebaraj discusses inflation, consumer sentiment, and economic growth in Northwest Arkansas. The center recently released the Northwest Arkansas Region Report, an analysis of the Northwest Arkansas economy. Jeparaj explained what goes into the making of this report. When we compared ourselves to the first set, uh, we were a lot better. So we let's like make this a little harder and try regional comparisons that are bigger than us. Think of Tulsa or Kansas City or Omaha, which is a little further away than those two uh, metro regions. But they're larger metro areas, have a lot more people, a lot more businesses and so on. So we wanted to compare ourselves to the larger metro areas that were near us. Again, we were outperforming them, you know, not in terms of size, but in terms of growth. You can listen to Jebaraj wherever you get your podcasts or by going to arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas. This is Ozarks at Large. Teen of the Musical continues at Walton Arts Center through Sunday afternoon. The title role requires so much of an actor singing, dancing, constantly moving. The two actors become Tina during the production's run in each city. And two actors play the icon as a child. This week, the two actors who portray Anime Bullock, who became Tina Turner, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I asked Symphony King, age 10, and Brianna Cameron, age 11, what they love about performance. Brianna answered first. I could express myself in a very fun way. For instance, dancing. Like, if, if you never heard of, like, dancing in water, like, you could go underwater, like, there's dancer water, like, water, dancers that go in water and dance, and, like, just to know that that's th- th- a thing, it's cool because, like, it's, like, so lyrical, and, like, you can move your body any way you want, and you could express express your feelings, and same with singing, I could sing, I could have fun, and that's what I really love. Symphony, what do you like about performance? Well, performance 
I love being in front of people and bringing them joy when I'm performing, but I also love just singing and like belting. And I love pursuing a character of people who might have been here or imaginary characters, because I've done that too. And it's it's a lot of fun just to imagine what it would have been like well, to let, be the person or thing. Yeah, and, let me ask about that because you you both play a real person who mm-hmm. was a person your age in Eastern Tennessee in the 1940s. What, what's the process to become young anime in rural Tennessee in the 1940s? Well, I start off, when I wake up in the morning, I, I kind of like cleanse my body. I drink water and I just pray to God and be like, okay, I'm going on tonight or this morning if it's a matinee or an evening show, whatever show it is, I pray and I'm like, okay, I got this. Whatever comes my way, no, op- no obstacles are gonna stop me from doing what I love. And I get to the theater at whatever time, I do school, I get to theater, and I start off by doing fight call. But I don't really do fight call all the time. That's normally only Tuesdays when I'm um, opening. Mm-hmm. And then I get my mic in, mm-hmm. and then I get dressed. And I feel like my favorite part is getting dressed because I'm like, it's the transformation of Brianna. But then it's not Brianna anymore. It's young Tina or young anime. And then after that, I get ready for the show, drink water, fix up my outfit a little bit, and then I'd go out there and do what I love. And I think that when you see someone being transforma- having transformation into a whole different person, it's like magical. It's like this magical vibe that you feel. Symphony, what's your, what's your prep? Well, in the morning time, I wake up, I decompress. If I've had a nice show, you know, the night before, I decompress in the morning time, have breakfast like normal. Um, Then I get ready for school. And if I have a show that day, most likely I would decompress after school, get my mind into a professional mind state. And Mm -hmm. I pray before my show with my moms. And then after that, it's, you're in the theater, so I get myself into a warm-up mm-hmm. um, for my voice, and I stretch my muscles, because sometimes I'm a little sore after, like, a, those last days mm-hmm. before we leave, so definitely at the end of the day, though, I decompress one more time after getting all those endorphins from a show and being all hyped up and then having to go back down to outside and yeah, walking home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because some these last couple um, um, cities Ooh. have been really cold, so you're coming out so hot and sweaty and you want to be warm so you don't get like pneumonia or anything. Right. Like you're sweating and you need to be warm. So you're putting so your on po- a coat. So your pores don't open. Because your pores are open, you're sweating, and you don't want to get sick. And being sick on tour is the worst thing. <laughs> I can't yeah. imagine. You know, every venue that you go to, every city has a different kind of stage. Yeah. Does that matter to you, or or is is this production so well organized that a stage is a stage is a stage? It all seems the same. Oh, I'm gonna be so honest, but I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I want to go to Fight Call, even though I can't, just so I can like see the stage and see what I'm performing on before I get on. Yeah, because it's Otherwise, like you just get on stage and it's like, oh god. Okay, I'm gonna tell you that I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. I've heard you say fight call. What in the world is fight call? Oh. Fight call is where they practice the fights. Because mm-hmm. if you do know, I can Tina Turner had a little bit of some bad history here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and they yeah, they do a little fights. couple fights in the show. Only pretty much in act one, they do some fights. Mm-hmm. Only act one. And then the rest of the show is cheerful. Some parts are sad, but cheerful of the rest. And so they just make sure everyone's comfortable doing the fights. No one's, like, icky. No one feels a little unstable. Well, you got to know where yeah. to go with that, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so you don't really hurt, hurt someone. someone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one last question. So do you have school today? Yes. After, okay. Yeah. So, we have a field trip. Yeah, oh, where are you going to go? Um, the art know? museum. An art museum. Crystal Bridges yes. Art yeah. Museum? Yes. I'm so excited. I know. That is so cool. And I, I, and I just want to say something about Tina. Tina is literally a legend. Oh, yeah? She's an icon. She shattered barriers against all odds. 
and I am very, very, very honored to portray Tina. And I love Tina so much. Her music is inspiring to many black girls like myself, and also to inspire black girls that they could do anything in life just with hard work. Because my science teacher would always say, Nothing hard, nothing's hard, you always just have to work hard for it. I'm honored that you spent some time with me. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank I you. I enjoyed this. And enjoy Crystal Bridges. Thank you. Thank you. Rihanna Cameron and Symphony King are actors who portray the young Tina Turner in Tina the Musical. The national tour's run at Walton Arts Center continues through a Sunday afternoon performance. This is Ozarks at Large. It is Friday. It's time time to talk about a new movie. This one is Wonka. And as you might expect, we're going to talk about this movie with Courtney Lanning. Courtney, thank you for uh, taking time to talk to us. Thank you for making the time to have me here. <laughs> All right. Wonka is one of these movies that comes in, I think, with a high bar of nostalgia expectations. Because almost everyone, I think, has seen the Gene Wilder version. It's beloved. The Roald Dahl novel is beloved, even though this isn't a remake and it's a re, uh, it, it's a prequel. I think it comes with some high expectations, don't you? Yes, and I think the expectations are even higher because everybody remembers the disaster was the Johnny Depp reboot. Yes. So, so those are the odds Wonka's up against. Again, it's a prequel, not a remake, and it stars Timothy Chalamet, who has charisma galore. What do you think? Honestly, Kyle, this is a really fun movie. Oh, good. Uh, it's very it's very colorful and imaginative. Uh, this is a movie that, by all accounts, should have failed. When you come in with a prequel to a film from the, what, 80s, right? Wonka, 70s, late 70s. Or, yeah. Um, when you come in with a prequel to a movie from the late 70s, early 80s, um, you, you're pretty much setting yourself up for disaster, as uh, George Lucas learned with his Star Wars movies of, 1999 and, and onward. Um, but thankfully, this is a really fun movie. The visuals are great. Um, they just throw some really creative sequences through there. The songs are okay. Yes, surprise, it's a musical, which I don't <laughs> think the trailer gives away, but no. I wouldn't say the music is anything legendary. It's nothing awful. It's, it's fine. Um, but the rest of the movie is good. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching it, and it clears the bar. What a prequel, I think, strives to do is kind of explain to us what this character we're very familiar with. And by the way, I just looked it up. The the Wilder, Gene Wilder, 1971. So we were both off. Right. Does this succeed doing that? Do we understand how Wonka kind of becomes the Wonka that we see inhabited by Gene Wilder? Surprisingly, yes. Uh, when we meet Wonka in here, and as you said, he's played by darling, uh, darling Timothy Chalamet, um, who people will remember from Dune and, and all, all sorts of other movies, you do get a very good origin story for him. You see why he is the way he is. He starts off this movie arriving in a city on a boat, um, having explored the world and rounded up all sorts of magical ingredients for his chocolates. He has basically no money. Um, he gets scammed and is trapped living in like a, a really shady living arrangement by a contract that he didn't quite read. Um, and he, he owes people a lot of money so before he can really get started as this chocolatier he's got to you know make some friends and find some some creative ways to sell his chocolates because there's a bunch of really big fancy businessmen who have their own chocolate empires in the city and they are not eager to be squeezed out you know by the end of the movie when he's singing the very last notes of his very last song you can begin to see he's getting a little colder a little more melancholy just a smidge mm. To, to at least put his feet on the road to become the Gene Wilder Wonka that we all know is just a little sadistic and a, a little less uh, believing in humanity. I'd say jaded, right? The Gene Wilder Willy Wonka is kind of jaded. Jaded is probably a better balanced term. Um, I think, you know, when we remember 
the the movie from 1971 good lord um we definitely remember the darker parts more so it's easy to think that that wonka was was definitely disillusioned i think is a good word there you go uh one thing about timothy chalamet is if i was looking for an actor who i would say who could i believe just visually becomes gene wilder in that movie he fits the bill yeah he looks the parts and here's the thing when you're playing you know this prequel to such a well-known character um there's so many mannerisms there's so many uh tones and and visual cues that you have to get down to sort of let people know i'm going to be this character or i'm going to become someone who becomes this character um there's a lot to get done you know timothy chalamet's motions are good uh his voice is his voice reminds me of wilder he he does find singing mm-hmm. um the only thing that is a little a little jarring and not really that much um but he is still timothy chalamet so he still has a lot of that natural stoic expression right so even when when he's dancing around and he's trying to smile and and sing that everything's going to be okay he still has that polytreides monotone look right. you know and it's hard for him to ditch that that's his face you know there's there's only so much you can do um he's not jim carrey so he, he does carry a little bit of his, his natural, more stoic self into the film, but but mostly he does a great job. There's a little bit about how he meets Oompa Loompas? Yes. Um, I think Hugh Grant is my favorite part of the movie, and it's precisely because the film knows exactly how little of him to use. Uh, from the trailer, you see that Hugh Grant plays one single Oompa Loompa, not an entire factory. Um, and he he gets maybe three or four scenes, um, and he's just the perfect mixture of wit and bite and the the spirit of somebody who has also been a little bit disillusioned with life. All right, Wonka gets a thumbs up. You can read the review of Wonka from Courtney Lanning at KUAF.com and OzarksAtLarge.com. Another wildly charismatic lead actor will be the subject of the movie we talk about next week. That's right. We are going to be going under the sea to visit Aquaman once more. Jason Momoa. All right, Courtney. I look forward to that. I'm glad Wonka is... Oh, one last question about Wonka. Family? Good to take the kids? Yeah, of course. Okay. There's nothing horrific in this movie. Thank you so much, Courtney. We'll talk again next week. Kyle, thanks for having me. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. A whole host of contributors to today's show, Kyle Kellums, Michael Tilley of Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Clint Schneckloth, and Courtney Lanning. You can listen to Ozarks at Large on your own schedule. Just search for Ozarks at Large in your podcast app of choice. If you're an iPhone user and listen to a ton of podcasts like I do, I would recommend trying out the app Overcast if you're looking for something new. A lot of cool features over there. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Today's show was produced in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Thank you so much for listening to Ozarks at Large from the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. I'm Matthew Moore. Have a wonderful weekend. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art invites art enthusiasts to register for Printmaking with Paige Dirksen, an eight-week workshop designed for folks age 55-plus who wish to learn about different forms of printmaking and hone their skills creating unique prints. Classes take place Mondays, January 22nd through March 11th. Information and tickets at crystalbridges.org.